Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vero, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today we have Alicia Menendez as our guest. Alicia is a television commentator, host, and writer. She's an anchor of MSNBC and the author of The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. She is also the creator and host of the Latina to Latina podcast. Alicia, we want to learn about your journey, chat about likability, and what it means to level up. We are excited to have you here and keep this conversation going. So welcome. Welcome to our show. Ladies, thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you, Alicia. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah, we're very excited. So before we get into all of it, just tell us about your upbringing, anything you want us to know about you, where you were born, all that good stuff. Sure. I mean, most of what you need to know about me is that I grew up in Union City, New Jersey, which is where all the Cubans who didn't go to Miami came because there were it was a textile industry, which is how my grandparents ended up here. And they were looking for economic opportunity. They came under Batista. And then like a lot of Cubans who came at that time, they thought they would go back and Fidel Castro took over and they became a family of exiles. And so Union City, when I was growing up, was largely Latino as it is now. Um, lots of Cubans, lots of Dominicans, lots of Puerto Ricans. Um, in time, the composition has changed, but it has always been a place that expands to take people in and then contracts as they continue their journey in America. And so everything that I am comes from Union City. Um, and I was raised in a home, my mom is an educator. Um, my dad is an elected official. When I was growing up, he was the mayor of Union City, which is like a big deal. You know, like being the mayor of a small town is basically as like fancy as it gets, especially when you're a kid and everybody knows who your parent is. Um, but it means that I grew up in this household that was very dedicated to the idea of service. And so I grew up with this ethos of whatever you do, you have to give back and you have to be a part of your community. And um, I hope that the work that I have done has has made them proud because I think about that all the time. Great answer. Such a great answer. That's so awesome. I can't imagine like growing up the daughter of the local mayor. Like I probably would want to hide out a lot and like, I don't want them to recognize me. They're going to tell my daddy. Anyway, I don't know if that happened and we'll get to that. But tell us a little bit about your career and what made you pursue journalism and media. Yeah. I mean, growing up because I had these parents who were in public service, I thought that I would graduate from college go to law school, maybe a lawyer for a few years, and then run for public office. And I worked on a few campaigns. And while I very much believe in that form of public service, I kind of had like an early quarter life crisis where I realized that I had been that kid who always thought I knew exactly what I had wanted to do and had never spent time thinking about any other options. I had no plan B. I didn't have any other idea of what I would do with my life. And so I found a job working at a television station in Westchester. I would take the train from the city into Westchester and I was a booker, which means that I would find guests for the evening news show. And I basically learned everything about television production 
in that room, like figuring it out, listening to other people talk about, oh, we need a SOT, we need MOS. And then I would like whisper to someone like, what's a SOT? What's MOS? And they would say like, it sounds on tape. It's man on the street. And so I learned a lot about the nuts and bolts of TV production there. And a lot of it just reminded me of what I'd always loved. Like I love stories. I love the power of stories. I believe that stories have the potential to change hearts and minds. And because I'm from a community like the three of you, even though we geographically are from different places, like I didn't grow up seeing a lot of people who shared my life experience on television. Um, I would say the closest thing I saw was Steve Urkel on Family Matters because he was from, you know, a, um, a community of color and he was a nerd. And those two things resonated with me more than anybody else I was seeing on television. There was Jolanda Vega who did the uh, lottery every night and like she was a television <laughs> personality, but but that was it. And, um, and there are so many rich stories to tell from the places and the people um, we're from. And so that became really interesting to me and, and, and what I chose to pursue. And is that why you went into television hosting? I think stories are just so fascinating. I could tell a good story and I love to hear a good story. Um, so while you're at it and telling us how you transitioned into hosting, tell us about the stories of any challenges that you face as a Latina. Where to start? Biggest thing, I have a very unconventional journey to this place. The conventional journey to this place is to either go to journalism school or to travel through local markets as a reporter and then to work your way up. And I am in deep admiration of the people who pursue that path. Um, my path is a little bit different because I went into politics and advocacy and through that work, I started doing television spots as an analyst. And I was this person in my 20s who was talking about the youth vote or the Latino vote or women's vote and came up that way. And so it came from a place of community and of that analysis. And then I transitioned into storytelling. So I've done, you know, um, reporting work for ABC News, for Vice. And I think the biggest thing that I grapple with as a Latina is that I think in general, it is people are, are questioning right now where that line is between objective journalism and um, advocacy journalism, right? Journalism that has an agenda. And when you are someone who comes from an immigrant community, from a community of color, from any marginalized identity, I think that there is an assumption that you approach those stories um, with uh, politics undergirding it. And I don't think that um, a lot of white non-Hispanic reporters run up against that same question of, are you always representing somebody else when you're telling a story? Are you always coming to a story with an agenda? And I think what is most complicated is I don't know that people always explicitly say what it is they want to say. I think very often there is a subtext to can you tell this story without bias? Can you come to it without an agenda because you are who you are and you're from where you're from? Um, and there is a certain amount of grace that I think is given some people that is not given others. And I think as much as that applies to the world I am in, I see you three of you nodding. So I know that, um, 
that it applies across the board. No, absolutely. I, I love what you're saying. And I love, you know, that you love telling stories. And that kind of seg- segues a little bit into your book and how how this episode came to be. So um, before we actually started recording, we were talking about how, you know, with Level of Latina, we coach women. And uh, a lot of them come across our coaching through through the podcast. And it was actually during this process that I came across your book. Um, and one one of my one of my clients back in December mentioned your book, The Likeability Trap. And um, I like to say that when we coach women, we you know we level up together, we learn from each other. And in fact, you know, she suggested your book. And uh, fast forward to about a month ago, I was listening to your book and, um, and then someone messaged us and said, Hey, um, are you guys working or doing any, any, anything with uh, Latina to, to Latina? Cause they, they're doing a level up podcast series. And so I, you know, I went, got home, I remember, and like I, I researched and then I came across your name and I was like, Oh my God, that's her book. I'm listening to it right now. So Anyway, I, I got excited because I thought like, hey, this is meant to be like the ner- universe put us together. And um, so with that, tell us about your book and how you came up with the name The Likeability Trap. Well, I am very glad that the universe brought us together. And I apologize that you were listening to the audiobook because I was like nine months pregnant. So if you hear a lot of heavy breathing, <laughs> uh, uh, at least there was like there was a human... <laughs> my diaphragm. Um, I love that. I care a lot about being well-liked. Always have. That's not a thing that I'm necessarily very proud to admit. Um, I think some of it has to do with being sensitive. Some of it has to do with um, being a cancer. I also think though, some of it has to do with being Latina. Has to do with the fact that at least the way I was raised, we were raised to be very aware of what other people think of us in our one-on-one interactions with people um, in the sense that, you know, we live in community with other people. And there is a part of all of this that I think is really good. Like, I think it is good to be mindful of the way you are and how that impacts other people. Right. I think that could even be a superpower um, for women, for Latinas. I think the challenge is when that crosses over into being dominated by concern for what other people think of you and modulating your true self in order to please mommy, papi, the neighbor down the street. Like, you know, I mean, you can expand that universe out sort of endlessly. Um, and as someone who cared, I imagine that women who didn't care was just were just like out there living their best lives. And what I found almost more interesting was that as I began to interview women, what I found was there were a lot of women like me who cared a lot and felt that they paid an internal and external price for that. But that even the women who were totally liberated, who didn't care, who were not internalizing this demand, they were still externally running up against the expectation that they ought to care. That was especially true for ambitious women. It was especially true for women who worked in male-dominated environments, that a woman who was brazenly herself um, still paid a price for not caring. And that tension became 
the the crux of the book and what was so interesting to me was that we expect women to care we expect leaders to look and act a certain way and if you violate any of those expectations then there will be a real penalty so when you and I started emailing back and forth I was actually on the part where you you were talking about how you know we tend to hide our authentic selves and um you know we don't want to bring that light to that um, and, and I mentioned that we had just hosted a virtual event, a, a, virtual, a virtual workshop. And one of the topics that came up was, um, you know, using your personality to your advantage. And um, I think I, all four of us know how using that, our personality can, can take years, right? And it's challenging. But tell us, like, what, what, how do you use your personality to your advantage? And, and you know, how has, your, how has your cultural background helped you? I think it is really helpful to be able to to read people and to know mm -hmm. people and the fact that I had I you know like I have so many funny memories of growing up because I was the one who didn't speak Spanish I was so like I remember like like rehearsing for someone's quince where like the choreographer was like giving everything in Spanish and <laughs> I, like, a, like a lot of second gen kids like mm -hmm. I understand Spanish even though I'm not fully comfortable speaking it mm -hmm. and <laughs> I just remember being mortified like being like mm -hmm. oh no like no, please don't draw attention to the fact that that I don't speak this um but then you know in high school college like I was often the only Latina or one of few Latinas. And then you explain things like why your friend is having a sweet 15 instead of a sweet 16. Like I remember someone very sweetly, like they meant nothing by it, but they were like, what does she not play the living <laughs> 16? Like, and then you always, uh, you're always yeah. doing that cultural translation. Like yeah. I don't know a lot of the first gen stuff where you literally do, you, you do literal translation for your parents at the doctors with teachers. That is a whole other thing that, that you have had to contend with that I have not. Um, but I do know what it means to move between worlds. And I think there's so much strength and so much power in doing that, especially as you become an adult and you are navigating different professional situations, different personal situations where it's like, I, I can flex in and I can flex out. Like I, I just, I know how to code switch. Um, yeah. All four of us do. And that to me is such, it is a thing you cannot teach. Um, mm -hmm. And in the best case scenario, I think it means like I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm, and I'm truly am me, like an integrated version of me in a lot of different situations. And I can choose what I bring to the fore and what I allow to assess. And I also recognize that that is a major privilege that I have by virtue of the fact that I am white, that I am highly educated, you know, that these are, mm -hmm. are choices that in these situations I am allowed to make, you know, and that there are a lot of Latinas who, who, who don't have those luxuries. I'm like getting the chills even listening to you because I can be really ambitious and very urgent. And it took me a long time to recognize that those aren't bad things. But growing up first gen and with a mom that wanted me to be those things, but also wanted to keep me sort of in this place, <laughs> right? They want to keep you in your place, but they love, yeah. deep down, they love that you're ambitious. You probably got it watching your mom hustle and be ambitious. And they love that you are outspoken because they're outspoken. But it's like, honey, you know, don't be so outspoken. And then you're in the working world and it's like, don't be so direct. Don't be so forward. Don't, but do get it done. Do be urgent. 
And it's like, well, the best way to be urgent is to call out what something needs to get done, you know, like, and, and moving the needle forward. And it's like this, I totally feel you on that constant tug of war of who you should be and how much you care about being liked. Like my mom would always tell me, you know, those are good things, but you want to be liked. And it's like, what? Like, I don't understand. It's like such a huge tug of war. So I really appreciate this whole concept in your book. And I'm feeling you is my point. And your mom's not wrong, right? Like that's, that's, that's the other thing, which is it would have been, it would have been much neater and much simpler to say to hell with likability. Just don't worry about it. Don't care about it. Yeah. The truth is people like doing business with people. They like people like working with people that they like. And part of what I wanted to capture is that the way we talk about a lot of this stuff, and you know this because you coach clients, is that we act as though it is a one-time choice. Like a woman just wakes up one day and she's like, all right, I'm choosing to be successful and I don't care who doesn't like me or I'm, you know, I'm choosing to to be likable above all else. And it's it's really a series of micro choices that women are making every day. Um, that, you know, how hard you push on any one assignment, how hard you push to get a raise or a promotion. Um, you know, I was just reading a story about a woman who had a job offer rescinded because she deigned to negotiate for the job in the year 2021. And it's like, but it does happen. So it's not, it's not an amorphous fear. It's like a very real fear that can affect the trajectory of your career and your bottom line. And I think in some ways, you know, so my dad is, is Cuban. My mom is, third generation American, Irish, German, Norwegian. But I think part of what I imagine your mom's also saying is, and someone I was, I joined a book club call for like two minutes today. And it was awesome because someone pointed this out to me. It's like, sometimes likability is about safety. It's about just making sure that you are like, you know, safe mm-hmm. walking down the block, mm-hmm. safe in your classroom, like safe in a variety of contexts where if you if you are unlikable, it could carry a penalty. That is that safety thing. And I love bringing up my mom lately because I think I just turned 40 and I just am just this new fan of hers. And she's 80. So all these years in between and all this knowledge. But I traveled for a whole year with my husband and I quit my job and he quit his job. And at the end, I didn't have to quit my job because they were like, you're so great. We want to keep you. You can work remotely. But my mom was like, you're insane. You're <laughs> nuts. It's unsafe. It's unsafe on a bunch of levels, like traveling with your kids like a crazy person. But the instability, the like to her, the uncertainty that you're supposed to have a job and keep Mm -hmm. it forever and they're going to think you're nuts and you'll never have another job again. You'll never live another normal Mm -hmm. day again. She thought it was Mm -hmm. so unsafe. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's a security thing. Like, how are you going to be liked if you're this crazy wild person? In the end, I kept my job. I literally kept my job. Like, so it's this weird tug of being yourself and going for things, but hearing that mama voice that's like, well, I'm not going to make a crazy, crazy decision, but a decision that may seem crazy to you and unsafe to you may actually fit very well for me in my life. So it's just so important to have that self-awareness, but safety, I get it a thousand percent. And probably is also because our mothers are like, they see it as an unnecessary risk you're taking, right? They're yeah. like, we get it. Take your risk. You're you, be you. But why is that really necessary? Necessary, Irene. You're like, why do you have to do that? And they question you. I love the fact that me and um, Alisa that you mentioned, you know, that you're second generation and you don't speak Spanish, but then you do, you've been doing the work to be completely honest and being authentic to yourself and who you are. Like you are familiar with what it is to have that Latino background and that story and you own it. Just when you were talking about, you know, women that are so brazenly themselves and want to be their authentic selves. Like when we go into our professional lives, I know we're faced many times when we're in male dominated industries that we're like, oh, you're just like one of the boys now. 
and you yes. joined that boys mm-hmm. club and it's like it's this idea that women cannot be that so you have these male dominant traits right that allow you to make it when really it's just us women really taking it and owning who we are as people and not being afraid to display it but it automatically gets been like oh you're one of the guys i know for me it was like you're always one of the guys i'm like i'm not i'm not one of the guys i get it but can i just be who i am without being automatically labeled one of the guys yeah, so when a woman is assertive when she shows up the way we expect a leader to act i mean let me back up vast majority of feedback women get critical subjective feedback Um, What that means is that most of the feedback you get is about your style, not about like you ran this regression analysis incorrectly. And that feedback tends to go in one of two directions. Either you are told you are too assertive, too aggressive, you have everything it takes to lead, but people don't like you. It's that urgency that Irene was talking about. Um, Or you're told that everybody loves you. So nice. So great. We're just not sure you have what it takes and no one can tell you exactly what that is. But what it is, is that you're not showing up the way that they anticipate a leader to show up. Um, And that just means that then women in both directions just can never just show up as themselves without a a lot of performance. Like I think, I think a thing that is hard about work is that work almost always requires some element of performance right? Like very rarely are people like fully just like rolling into work as themselves. Like, <laughs> yeah. unfil- like I'm not even sure we want that, right? For everyone to right. be like, like an unfiltered, uncontained. <laughs> you're like, girl, go back to the box. You're too much when you're yourself. <laughs> TMI, girl. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yeah, we, we all have that coworker too. Um, but I think there's a question of how much women are asked to perform. And like the weird ways in which we do that, like the, the, like I'm looking at the way Ceci's sitting in her chair and like, you know, you shouldn't sit that way in a meeting, right? It's like, you're like relaxed, lean back, but it's like, we're all taught like the same like power pose, like take up as much space, be as vertical as possible. And, and some of that's fine, whatever. It's just to me, there's so much time and energy spent on the way women wear their hair and women use their hands and women use their voice. That is like, then you're just not focused on the hard skills, right? So like short of being, I mean, a broadcaster is like a little bit different or a voice over artist is a little bit different, but otherwise, you know, you're in all these meetings where you're not really focused on the thing you need to be focused on. It's like Ceci with your chingada madre. I know. No. So I was, well, you were talking to like, you know, women uh, are told like you do too much of this or do too much of that. I've been told like that I, I use my hands a lot. Like in a, in, in, at my prior law firm, I was told like, oh, it's because you use your hands too much and you should try to like, you know, put them down. And I was like, well, that's how, that's how I think, you know, that's how I, <laughs> so I've been told that. Um, so what you're saying um, reminds me of like, you know, some, we're stuck in the middle, right? We're stuck in the middle because we want to be liked, but we also don't want to come off as weak. And part of the title of your book is succeed as you are, right? Succeed as you are. And um, so, and we can all kind of share something uh, that we've learned, but what have you learned about like being authentic in a professional setting? This is going to be such an unsatisfactory answer, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, which is the answer is not in you. 
the answer is not in you doing more of yourself or bringing more of yourself. Like sure, that is a piece of it, but it's not the whole thing. Really the question we need to be asking is how does a workplace change and adapt so that you can feel safe enough and secure Mm -hmm. enough to feel Mm -hmm. as though you can show up and be that authentic self. There was a great study that was done about people who had been exposed to lean in the, you know, Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook Mm -hmm. gave Mm -hmm. a talk, she wrote this book. It's one of his books I find that people have either devoured or they've like pretended to read for the last 10 years, but built very strong opinions on. (laughs) So they use lean in to sort of wrap up this core thing about like lady in the workplace literature, which is a lot of it is wrapped around this idea of how you can change or adapt or work on yourself to succeed. And I would argue that a lot of that allows you to survive in the workplace, but it doesn't allow you to thrive in the workplace. And that anyone who'd been exposed to those ideas had come to the conclusion that not only were women responsible for the obstacles they were running up against in the workplace, but that they were also responsible for fixing those obstacles. And that is what I want to do away with, that the onus has to shift from women, especially at the entry level and to some degree in middle management and really be about organizational leadership and how they create that space for everyone um, to feel like they can show up as themselves and succeed. Because it's one thing to show up and be stuck in middle management hell forever. It's another thing to show up to do the work and the results. Of course, you need to do the work and the results, have the results, but to do both of those things and then feel as though you can be ascendant. I love what you said, Alicia, because I just read an article as well, like with with women and how women uh, typically are the ones that experience imposter syndrome the most, right? And it's always about like, well, you yes, you know, you're qualified. Yes, it's all like checking these things about who you are. But you don't question the workplace, the systemic, the organizational, you know, systems. And it's like, if something's going to change, it has to start with that. It's not only within. So we constantly blame ourselves. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you for making it known. And I know you talk about this also in, in your podcast. So I just want to emphasize that I loved what you just said. So thank you. <laughs> and we need to be aware as women that it's not, like you said, it's not in us. It's it's everything else. Question everything else and how that can you can set the ways or set a way to start changing that. I want to say that I'm really enjoying your book. I'm still listening to it and I am listening to it when I go out for walks or on jogs. And Slow I really learn. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm you're telling on yourself, girl, that you're not talking that often. <laughs> no, that I'm not out, that I'm not running uh, that often because I like to listen to it when I'm running or I'm walking because like, I really get into it and I, I almost want to like pick up the phone and be like, yes, I felt that too. Or like, or like I experienced this when, you know, X, Y, and Z at work. And um, so anyway, thank you for sharing those stories and for discussing these stories with the, these women. Um, and a lot of the stories that you mention and you talk about are how women are underpaid, right? Compared to their male counterparts. And that's so frustrating. It's so frustrating because um, one of the things that comes up is, a lot with our clients is how do I negotiate that raise and how can I bring that up? And I'm so scared to bring that up. And for many years, like I never brought it up. Like at my prior job, I never brought it up. It's like, this is what you're going to get paid this year. Okay, cool. Thank you. And walk out. Right. And it's like, 
I never, I never thought to ask for more. I never thought to do the research. And I felt as like, I think it was like, again, the imposter syndrome kicking in that I was grateful to have that job and have at this firm and, and, and I should just be thankful, but I don't know. I think it's very frustrating. And do you have any tips on how to bring that topic to the table when negotiating salaries? Listen, I think that your clients are very lucky to have the three of you because what what I can add to this specific piece of the discourse is it's not in your mind that this feels hard. It actually is hard. And there are lots of... Um, little traps that are set for women when they negotiate a salary. And so I think one of the disservices that we have done to women is acting like there's never any harm in asking. It's like there shouldn't be any harm in asking. I want to get to that place. We're not always there. And you are very often like you have to assess, are you ready to walk away? Do you have another offer? What is your leverage in this negotiation? And, and I think that all of those situations, again, you know this better than anyone because you coach women is it's so singular to that woman, to her workplace, to the moment that that workplace is in, to what the people lateral to her are making, what her industry standard is Mm -hmm. like. You can be an incredible performer, but you've just reached the max of what is available at your place of employment. Yeah. Like that is a different negotiating situation. It's different to negotiate from within an organization than from externally. Mm-hmm. All I would say is I do think it is fraught. And I think that it is exactly why you do want to have a professional coach who can talk you through it. And if you are someone who does not have the means or access to have a professional coach, then I think it is also where it is really valuable to have some type of support network of women around you who are in either industries that are the same as yours, proximate to yours. Um, You want those women to be lateral to you. Um, You want them to see you and you, you want them to get you, but so that you have a core group that you can come back to and say, I am thinking about asking for a $10,000 raise. Does that sound right to you? These are the words I'm thinking about using. Does this sound right to you? I was given this piece of feedback. Does this comport with how you know me to be in the workplace? Because we're all always sorting through what is legitimate and tied to the way that I show up and how that impacts the results of my work and what is completely subjective nonsense. What is someone's opinion of me that they have shared in the false context of being an actual legitimate piece of, um, of usable advice. Um, And so when someone doesn't have a coach, I think that universe of women that you have or people that you have um, can be really powerful and helpful. Sorry, that just makes me giggle. Like when you have friends and you tell them like, girl, I'm about to ask for some money. And you're like, tell, you tell them like, what? you don't even like show up to work. Like, Are you sure you want to make that ask? Like, you need people that are real with you. You know, like sometimes you want, you, you know that someone's going to give you the right answer that you want to hear. So just don't go to them. Like when you do have a support system and you work with people, they're like, hey, I see how you come to work. I see how you show up. I see how you produce and your and, and your and everything that you do. So 
yes, this sounds reasonable. So it's beautiful to have that that group of women when you are obviously unable to have the coaching, your Latina to Latina podcast series and, and how you invited women from different fields and chat about what it means for them to level up. Negotiating is one way of leveling up. So today we want to ask you, what does it mean to you to level up? I love that great minds think alike so that we, and we're going to like, hopefully come back to this level up idea. So hopefully there will be a chance for us to level up together. Um, Our executive producer, Julieka Lantigua Williams, that concept was very much her idea that she wanted going into the new year to, to play with this idea of leveling up. And, and I will tell you that I had some resistance to it because it has been such a hard year and there have been, so many of us who I think are just doing our best in very different contexts to survive. I mean, there are obviously a a lot of women out there who have lost their jobs. A lot of those jobs have been low wage jobs. Like they are contending with an entirely different set of what it means to survive the past year. Professional women like myself um, who have been able to keep our jobs. We're also trying to keep our jobs with no child care or limited child care. Um, it is a different type of survival that we are doing. Um, and I will tell you, it's been hard for me in this year as someone who is really ambitious and always wants to be working on something new and wants to be leveling up day to day to have, to just like, to be like, did I just get done today what I needed to get done? Um, and so I went into the leveling up series that we did on Latina to Latino with a little bit of resistance. But what I loved with the four experts that I spoke with is everything came back to this question of more just getting clear around what it would mean for you to jump a level in your relationships, in your relationship to your health, um, with your finances. And that I think is always available to us, right? To be asking the right questions about what it would look like, even if we're not in a place to execute it, that it is, um, and to know how to be honest with ourselves, be like, this is not the moment for yeah. that, or this is the moment for that, or in this moment, just like holding strong and having a strong baseline we're going to consider that a level up. But I actually ended up walking out of it with some really practical things like I, um, I had, we did a, a segment on leveling up financially. And one of the wake up calls that I got from that was I'm married and I have two kids, but I didn't have a will. And she was like, okay, wait a second. Like, we're not going to talk about your 401k. We're not going to talk. Oh, she's like, your, the, your financial health is not in order if you are not prepared for a worst case scenario. So like she, you know, that, that to me was like, okay, like I have that extra hour to pull out a word doc and put all of our financial information on it. So that God forbid anything ever happens to me. I mean, these are things you just never want to think about and you don't ever want to deal with, but she calls it recondoing your finances. And I think that's Mm, exactly right. I had to, I had to clean up my house, but anyhow, that's like not the most um, inspiring answer, right? Like, you know, like, and that's the thing, which is like, I feel like we're all surrounded and you guys please weigh in on this. Like there's so much Instagramming where it's like, I'm supposed oh, to yes. be like, living my best life and mm-hmm. like doing all this like mumbo jumbo. And I'm like, 
I'm lucky I washed my face this morning. I am lucky. <laughs> my teeth. Like, I'm my wearing teeth. a hat for a reason. That's my, a hat. I was like, <laughs> I lost. I leveled up. <laughs> you know, the, the thing for Melissa is that you're being honest. You're being real. Like, there's all these pressure. It's coming at us from so many different angles. Right now, like, I am trying to jump on this 21-day journey workout with Irene and Ceci. And I was like, I'm starting Monday. I'll be a week behind, ladies. And then Monday came around, and I was like, fuck, I don't think I'm ready for this. Like, I haven't brushed my teeth. I barely washed my butt, you know, my colita. Like, how? How am I? I mean, I have three kids. They're they're almost one. I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Right. So, I mean. I, I, her butt. She's got all these other butts to wash. Have <laughs> <laughs> three. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm trying to level up their little asses. I'm trying to get one potty trained. And it's like, I, you know, yeah. pregnant. For yes, she years. doesn't need a 21 day <laughs> yeah, 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 challenge. Just have more sex and have another baby. I think at this point. I know. I No, 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 no. I was like, yes, no, no sex. Yes. No more babies, please. But it's so trippy because we see it. And I'm like, dang, you know, like that was me. I was the one that worked out every day. Like I had nothing else to worry about. So I would work out. I would go on my two hour runs. And, you know, and the thing is that I'm glad you kept it real where you're like, oh, you didn't just make it seem like, oh, the leveling up part is just so such a great part of life. And it's so doable. The reality is, yes, we've been hit hard. Some of us have been hit with loss and we're trying to deal with not just with all these kind of emotions that we usually have distractions easily accessible to us. I don't want to deal with, you know, dealing with pain. Let me, let me go hang out with my friends. Let me go have some drinks. Let me go do this. And right now we're unable to do it. Like for me, I've been facing it for the last four years because I haven't, you know, I had not been drinking. I had not been out. So I was dealing with emotions sober for like, Hey, either I figure it out now or I'm screwed. Right. So you were very honest with your answer. I love that you mentioned that it's, you know, things are hard. So the fact that we just need to think about the basics, like what is ultimately necessary, let's not overwhelm ourselves. I think this year we kicked it off and we wanted to make sure to remind women, yes, you still want to work on yourself and you want to have goals, but let's be a little more realistic. Like, what do you honestly need? Like, what is, what are you going to need? And also not feel overwhelmed. Like you're not getting it done or you're not a chingona or that badass that everyone thinks you are. So, but can I just also say like, I like, I, I really love all three of you. Cause I love that everyone here looks yes. at us. Like, yes. Yes. But it's like yes. that is part of getting it done. Yes. That it's like, th that was a choice. Yeah. Like, and the four of us clearly all made the same choice, which was that the most important thing to me was to get my day done so that I could come and be fully present for you. It is just not a priority for me to be fully made up and to dazzle you with my gorgeous hair and makeup. Maybe somebody, and it's like, maybe it's somebody else's priority and like, yeah. God bless her for it being her priority, but it's not mine. And that this moment has forced us to pick and to choose. Yeah. Like that you can't be all the, you can't be doing everything out of 10. There's just no way. That probably was true before, but it has become so. So apparent. Thank you. I love that. Moment. I just love how she put us on blast. Yeah, just, Anybody listening is like, oh, I thought they had their hair done, their nails uh, done. No, okay. We had no, I'm joking, girl. I'm joking. I love it. No, no. But what they what they what they don't know, Irene, is that you dropped on us that you were 40. And so I want the I would like the skincare routine at the no, end. No, 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 no. What I will say is that we had a um, beauty specialist guru, like founder oh, yeah. of all these different companies on recently. Her yeah. podcast drops today, actually. And we all got dolled up because we were like, she's going to look like 11 and a half. Yeah. We all we're had like, like a <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we don't want to look like shit. Yeah. 
And she's like, I just sur survived Corona, so I'm not done up. We're like, oh, God. <laughs> so you just kept it real. Like the one time we. I'd be so pissed. The one time I'd we all scared. tried. <laughs> Yeah, the we one like time, we showed the one time, we the saw one her time Instagram we're... and we were like, she's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, you're like, we don't, we don't want to fuck this up. Let's do this right. You know? <laughs> what the fuck, Jennifer? So anyway, so Alicia, Off I know. This is... <laughs> that is, that is life for real. So now, now that we've, anyway, <laughs> so Alicia, now that you're cacking up, um, we know you're a mom. You mentioned before this, you're like, hey, we're good. It's a good time. My kids are asleep. They won't interrupt. So now you, we know you're a mom. Discussing your book, how your priorities shifted after becoming a mom. So we often discuss the challenges we face, like not being able to wash our face, brush our teeth, clean our butts. Things that we face with, you know, balancing our careers and, and being moms. What is the one thing that you like to, the one way that you stay balanced? Um, as a working mom, as a professional. <laughs> First time asking myself, I'm like, am I balanced? It's okay. It's okay. Listen, I, th I think, no, Next. Um, I, I, I need to think about this, which is childcare is absolutely critical. Like yeah. I I'm on my second kid now. So I fully understand that with kid number one, there was a desire for me to do a lot of things myself. And to, I saw other women doing things that were important to them, like making their children their own purees. And I was like, well, I must do that because that is that looks like what it is to be a good mom. I mean, you're on kid three. You're probably yeah, like, yeah. here's the thing really, I found on the really, floor. Like, yeah. He raises himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, I, I work out almost every day. That for me is more of a mental health thing um, than anything else. Just that like, I know I have to move my body um, in order to, to get those endorphins and feel good. Um, but it, I think the thing that helps, I mean, I also like, I have a great husband. I think the thing that helps me most though is just remembering like today was today and we get to start fresh tomorrow. And there may have been deadlines that were missed today. There may have been things that I wanted to do. Those things roll over into the next day. And yeah. the thing I find truest about motherhood, the expression I've heard that I find truest is um, the, the days are long and the years are short. And that to me just sums up this moment. And like as hard as this last year has been, like it's also really sweet where it's like I've spent more time with my girls than I ever would have in a different scenario and so I'm trying to stay grateful for that and for the fact that we're safe and everybody's healthy and there are groceries in the refrigerator and I know that that is a lot more than a lot of other people have and I wish that everybody had that same sense of safety and security because you know it's all you really need. And it's like a blur yeah. number when they were little. Yeah. My kids are like nine, are now nine, 10, and 14. And you're so right. Spot on. <laughs> you did it right, Irene. <laughs> I have no energy. It's terrible. Well, you huh? do well, so I don't even know how you have two girls. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, the thing is, it's, we're all figuring it out. But you're so right about the... Um, 
the days are long, but the years are short. You're so right. Cause I, I, yeah, that perspective, it always that really brings it back that when I think about my 14 and a half year old, like he's going to be gone soon. He's going to spend more time out of this house and onto his own life. My mm -hmm. time with him, my window with him is so short. And I, now I'm already reflecting on, well, we've pretty much messed him up already if we've messed him up. And I don't think so. Like, I think he's a pretty super awesome guy. Like I just love my son but it was yesterday. It was like yesterday when I was that mom that I was like, I'm supposed to be pureeing the food. Like, why did I buy this stuff on sale at Walmart? Like that guilt was there, you know? And so for anybody listening, there's really no right way. Be true to you and just ask yourself that question about balance. And just like Alicia did, give it some thought and don't put so much pressure on yourself. I feel like on one hand, we, we do a lot of like, why did nobody tell me this about childbirth and like, nursing and but on the flip as much as we don't say everything that is hard I think part of what we're trying to do is also protect you from like it is also the greatest thing I ever did and I'm so grateful for my girls and like I do I, I think here's what I was least prepared for I love my girls and I love my work and I'm happy when I'm at work and I'm happy when I'm with my girls and so what makes the choice so hard is that I love both things so much and that I have so much I want to give them and I have so much I want to give the world beyond them. And that's the actual tension. Like I used to think that, you know, parents were like, eh, I got to go to this recital and they really wanted to be at work. And it's like, no, you really want to be at the recital and you really want to be at work. And that is what makes it so all so complicated and so hard but I didn't get that before I was in it right yeah so then Alicia what this is our 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 one question we ask every guest and it might not be easy you know but um what advice would you give your 25 year old self I would tell my 25 year old self to focus more on I would tell my 25 year old self to focus less on trying to sell and thinking more about what it was she wanted to buy. That in friendships, in romantic relationships, in professional endeavors, there was so much selling and trying to convince other people of my worth and why I was worthy of their time that I didn't spend enough time stepping back and saying, is this someone I want to commit to? What am I? Am I growing in this relationship? Am I getting from this friendship, um, you know, the same intimacy and love that I'm putting into it? Um, I, I wish that I would have shifted my perspective and shifted my gears a little bit to, to not always be out there Um trying to convince everyone else and doing a little bit more thinking about um, who I was and who I wanted to be and, and what it was that I wanted out of life. I like that example. I like how you put it out there. Thank you. I mean, the sell and the buy. I also, I also would be like, you're going to meet your husband next year. Don't so trip. Like, have a good old party. <laughs> <it out>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trip, girl. <laughs> Don't like, swipe right on that bye, one. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Except we're old. There was no swiping. We're pretty much all wrapped up with our podcast today. We are so thankful for having you on our show I today. I loved this. Thank you. This was Good. such a delight. I wish we could do that in person. Yeah. Oh, whenever you're in town. One day. 
one, one day. <laughs> so Alicia, please let us know. Um, you know, we've learned a lot today. It was great conversation that we had. Um, how can people find you and learn more about you? Um, Saturdays and Sundays, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm on MSNBC, a show called American Voices. Um, my podcast, Latinas Latina, after you listen to your episode of Level Up Latina, you can just scooch on over to us. Um, and um, and the book, The Likeability Trap, I, I do think it is a great book for someone who feels like they're stuck um, and doesn't quite know why they're stuck. I think that's who I would recommend it to. And I'm on Instagram at Alicia Menendez XO because there's like a teen in Spain who has an awesome life. And I'm always hoping she gives up the handle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Just drop her a wait, message like, yo, wait, girl. Wait, that's not you? That's not you? I was on there earlier I, talking about the likability trap. <laughs> I'm always like, you, her life is incredible. It's like a lot of beaches. Like she's oh, in Ibiza man. and wow. I'm at home in North Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alicia Menendez in Spain. <laughs> we get it. We get it. <laughs> so thank you again. Make sure when you heard it, check out her book. Uh, follow Alicia Menendez XO on Instagram. And we want to thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning into our episode today. You know where to find us. And if you have any questions for Alicia or you want to keep this conversation going, you know where to reach us. You can find us at Level Up Latina on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also shoot us an email at admin at leveluplatina.com. And with that, everyone, we are so grateful again. It was a great conversation. We kept it real. We're three moms. Four. There you go. Four moms. See, where's my brain? Say hello. This was so fun. This was so fun.